Take out a piece of paper, if you will. I'm going to ask you to, to just write a little something down. If you don't have paper, you can do it mentally. But while you're doing that, I should tell you how it is I happen to come here. Here's the 42nd anniversary. I need to do something at some point about a building. And the preacher said, this is really important. He said, I am going to invite the smartest preacher in the world to come and preach our Jubilee. And so he wrote. But the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. So he's a little disturbed. He was talking, I think, to Brother Long. I'm not sure, but I think he's talking to Brother Long. He said, I tried to get the smartest preacher in the world for a jubilee. He can't come. And Brother Long said, ah, preacher, don't worry how smart he is. Just get somebody who can preach. Get the best preacher in the world. And preacher said, well, that's a good idea. That's what I'll do. And he wrote, and the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. And he was really, really starting to be disturbed. He's talking to his wife, Adrian. He said, honey, I try to get the smartest preacher in the world, try to get the best preacher in the world. She said, well, honey, why don't you get the best-looking preacher in the world? And he said, I don't know. The people hear me all the time, and I'm not sure how special that would be. She said, no, no, I mean the second-best-looking preacher in the world. So he wrote, and the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. He's really concerned. He's talk- I think he's talking about the first. I'm not sure. He said, I tried to get the smartest preacher in the world. I tried to get the best preacher in the world. I tried to get the second best looking preacher in the world. And Brother First said, well, Pastor, who you invite is your business. I'd never tell you who to have come, but you've asked me, so I have to be honest about it and tell you I think you're going about it all wrong. I think you ought to try to get the humblest preacher in the world. After all, that gives a little variety. It'd be different for us. It'd be a change... are so judgmental. I didn't even finish my sentence. It would be a change from the other guest speakers you have had in here recently. And the preacher said, that's a great idea. And so he wrote, and when I received the letter, I felt I just could not turn you down four times in a row. And so that's how I happened to come. <laughs> Mrs. Holder has her head in her hands just like she did when her son sang, My God is Real. <laughs> I'm not sure what it means. Take that paper. If you can't do it on paper, do it mentally. On the, on the right side of the paper, make a mark, and on the left side of the paper, make a mark. Let the right side of the paper represent a wonderful Christian, best Christian you know on a scale of 1 to 10, he or she would be a 10. Then make a mark on the left side of the paper. Let that mark represent a lousy Christian, the worst Christian you know. And then without looking at anyone else's paper, even if you are a wife or a mother, Would you make a mark on the paper where you think you are in your Christian life? If you can't do it on paper, do it mentally, then fold the paper. And open your Bibles with me to the book of the Revelation, chapter 3. We'll begin reading at verse 14. Thank you again for all your kindness. The preacher has said that you've taken an offering, so I hope I'm not presumptuous by thanking you in advance for whatever it is. Whatever it is, I'll promise you it's more than I deserve and less than my wife would spend on the grandkids. (laughs) 
you cannot get my wife to spend any money on herself. But she makes Congress look fiscally conservative when it comes to spending on the grandkids. Revelation 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Well, he does. He knows mine. He knows yours. That thou art neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. I would thou work cold or hot. So that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I challenge thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes have that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door I will come in and sup with him and he with me to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, and even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, as far as I know, I'm where you want me to be in your word tonight. Would you use this time to do the work you want to do in this wonderful church? I probably wouldn't have picked this sermon for this crowd, but I believe you have, and I pray you'd use it to your glory and to our good, bind Satan and those fallen angels that do his bidding and keep them from removing from our heart soil the seed of your perfect book. And Lord, I pray each of us would take a moment to commit to you to be good ground and gladly receive what you have for us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. The Lord Jesus comes to the church of Laodicea. He makes a pronouncement. It doesn't sound too bad at first. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, but you're lukewarm. Now, that doesn't sound bad to me. When I was in school, C's were my friends. <laughs> C's never got me grounded. C's never kept me from being able to watch Huckleberry Hound on television. <laughs> C's never took as much work as A's and B's. They're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. Let me see if I can illustrate. I'd like to have three maybe teenage boys who did not participate last night to help me as volunteers. If you want to volunteer and you weren't in the Army, no, you were in the Army last night. Three who did not participate. If I pick on you, then you get less. All right, right over here. What's your name? Braden. Braden. All right, Braden, stand right over there, kind of by the edge of the, the kneeling rail. Braden is going to represent a hot Christian on a scale of one to ten. Braden is a ten. Right, all the end of the rail, the far end of the rail. Braden reads his Bible every day, memorizes scripture, goes to church every time the doors are open, he tithes, he gives an offering. I can see I picked the wrong person. <laughs> but we'll pretend. He never watches anything bad on television. He's real careful about what kind of music he listens to. He's witnessing all the time. He is a hot Christian. He's on fire. And I saw another hand over here. Did somebody else raise their hand? Yes, come on up here. What's your name? Hudson, Hudson that is correct. 
We did not practice. You got it right the first time. Stand over there if you would please, Hudson. Hudson's going to represent a cold Christian. On a scale of one to ten, Hudson barely registers. He may go to church Christmas and Easter. When he's there, he not only doesn't put anything in the offering, the ushers watch him, make sure he doesn't take anything out. Never reads the Bible, never prays unless he thinks he's about to die. Watches garbage on television, goes to nasty movies, uses bad language, smokes, drinks, dances, uses drugs, and I can tell I'm getting better in my typecasting. So, <laughs> so Braden's our hot Christian, Hudson's our cold Christian. Need one more volunteer, one more person, kind of a teenager. All right, right back here. What's your name? Colin. All right, like C O L I N. All right, Colin, stand right there. Colin is a lukewarm Christian. Colin's not a bad guy. He reads the Bible three, four, sometimes five days a week. Now, sometimes he gets tired and he goes to bed and he says, I'll catch it up tomorrow. He's usually in church. Sometimes maybe there's a ball game he wants to see and he may miss the service, but he's usually there. He generally tithes. Now, he may not tithe when he's on vacation. After all, if you don't eat at the restaurant, you don't pay for the meal. <laughs> Try that with your house payment. Yeah. Tell the mortgage company, I was out of town two weeks. Here's a half payment. See what they say. <laughs> he's not a bad guy. He's pretty careful when he watches on television. Sometimes he gets watching something that's really interesting, and then it gets bad, and he'll kind of watch it to see what happened in the story, but he's pretty careful. Now, next Sunday, you can either have Hudson or Colin join your church. Can't have Braden. I'm taking him home to Bridgeport. <laughs> hey, after all these years, we deserve one member like that. <laughs> so you have somebody come some of the time or none of the time, reads the Bible some, reads it none, somewhat separate from the world, not at all separate from it, gives something, gives nothing. Who would you take? Tell me, who'd you take? I'd take Colin. I would reason this way. If he's in church, he has a chance to hear the preaching and to grow. I would reason this way. Some money is better than no money. Some Bible reading is better than no Bible reading. So there's a pronouncement about the relationship with the Laodicean church to the Lord Jesus. He says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. But then there's a pronouncement about his reaction to that. And he says, I would thou work cold or hot. Huh? Remember I said we know these passages so well we don't pay attention to them? Supposing I gave an invitation tonight and I said, I want all you lukewarm Christians to promise God from now on you'll be cold Christians. I think the preacher would be calling his friends, wow, we had an amazing service. 73 Christians promised God to become cold. I would not be back at another meeting, even if I did invite myself. <laughs> but Jesus said, so that because thou art neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's a strong statement. That word spew doesn't mean like drips coming out of a faucet. It doesn't even mean like when you turn the water on and it comes out. It's like when I tried to fix a leak in a faucet. First time I ever tried. I've been married just a little while. I thought, well, how hard can it be? <laughs> I started taking things apart and pretty soon a jet of water came out of the top of the faucet, bounced off the ceiling, little springs and pieces of rubber flying everywhere. <laughs> it was then I discovered there was a shutoff valve under the sink. 
That water was spewing. As a matter of fact, they tell me that the idea of this phrase, I will spew thee out of my mouth, is literally, I will vomit you out of my mouth. If that's right, the Lord Jesus says to the lukewarm church, you make me sick to my stomach. (laughs) Give a guy a little praise, it goes right to his head. Now, why? Why would, I understand what the Lord would say, I wish you were hot instead of lukewarm. Why would he say, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm? Well, people say, yeah, well, you know, we like to eat hot things. We like to eat cold things. We don't like to eat anything lukewarm. Really? <coughs> Is that true? Maybe it's different here in South Dakota, but what temperature do you take your potato chips? I don't know about y'all, but we just take them straight out of the bag. (laughs) Don't fry them, don't freeze them. We just eat them lukewarm. We usually do not cook our peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Just, you know, bread right out of the bread box and peanut butter out of the closet and jelly. So then you come to a perception. Now, I want you to look at your Bible. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because I'm lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What's the next word in your Bible? Because. Hey, I have a hunch the Lord's fixing to tell us why. You don't even have no Greek to figure that out. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. The self-perception of the Laodicean church is I'm in really good shape. See, here's what happens. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. I have no objection to any of those words. Now, some of my friends would rather use the word autonomous than independent and the word orthodox than fundamental. I don't care. Those are man's words to describe what we believe and how we behave. I do object if you change the word Baptist. That's a Bible word. Jesus said, until John were the law and the prophets, but now the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Our Lord made a distinction between the old and the new covenant in the ministry and the work of John the Baptist. I'm a Baptist. If that doesn't impress you, let me, let me throw this one at you. If I went to the Catholic church and got sprinkled by the priest, I would become a Catholic. When the Lutheran church was baptized there, that would make me a Went to the Methodist church and had that lady baptize me. I would be a, I would be a, yeah, lost Methodist. So you tell me, was Jesus baptized by John the Catholic or John the Baptist? And our churches, man, I preach around the country and I'm really encouraged at a lot of what's going on in the churches I preach at. This is a great church. I had no idea it existed. I, because it was Wednesday through Sunday on my calendar, I assumed it was a missions conference. Almost every meeting Wednesday through Sunday is a missions conference. So I talked to the preacher. They're going to say, no, it's our jubilee. Great, wonderful. Don't know what that is either, but we'll have fun. <laughs> good, faithful, night after night. You're being a good spirit, good response. Sing well. And you all still have church on Sunday night. Glory to God. Amen. People say, my pastor's young friends say, well, we're just doing one service a week now because we can put so much more into it. Oh 
My pastor says, well, hey, why don't you have just one a year? Imagine how good you could make that. Yeah, we at church, use the right Bible, King James Bible. Uh, you live and dress and behave and act differently from the world. You're not like these contemporary churches where it's all uh, lights and drama and a little bit of Bible maybe thrown in there and twisted around. Praise God! The trouble is, well, I'm happy about all those things. God didn't tell us to be better than them. He told us to be like him. And we get so impressed because we're not like Hudson. We don't sing it this way, but our attitude is revive him again. Fill his heart with your love. It's my brother and my sister, but not me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And then here's what the Lord says. He said, thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not. That's a really significant phrase. This is not a hypocritical church. This is a self-deceived church. They really think that they're better than they are. Notice that they're poor, wretched, blind, miserable, naked. Now here's the deal. You come to, to, to uh, Hudson and say, you are a lousy Christian. What's he going to say? I am not. I went to church twice last year. Christmas and Easter. Hope they'd have an Easter egg hunt. They didn't, but I was stuck. <laughs> they didn't even take any money out of the offering. I was going to, but the ushers were watching. But you come to Kyle and say, you're lo- what do you mean? I read the Bible four days last week. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm, I'm not a lousy Christian. I'm in church most of the time. Yeah. Thou sayest, and knowest not, Do you know that most Christians have no idea what the victorious, spirit-led, spirit-filled, surrendered Christian life is like? We hear somebody say, wow, we had a great prayer meeting. Well, good. Good prayer meeting for us is one where we don't have to pray. Man, we had a wonderful time out, soul went the other night. Good, a good night for you to be Four visits, three people not home, one not interested, and 45 minutes eating Krispy Kremes. If they have those around here, they have Krispy Kreme. They have Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, I'm glad you don't have Dunkin'. I don't like Dunkin'. They're not a, not a donut at Dunkin' that appeals to me. But when you go back to Shipshawana, go to Middlebury and go to the Rise and Roll Bakery and get you a caramel-covered donut with white cream on the inside. It is so good. If you get any of that in your forehead, your tongue will slap your brains out trying to get at it. <laughs> and knowest not. Most Christians have enough religion to make them unhappy in the world, not enough to make them happy in Christ. See, we know that uh, the world is bad. We know if you flirt around with that woman at the office, you can lose your marriage, and you start drinking booze, you can lose your job, and you start using drugs, you can lose your mind. But over on the other side, they're having a party. And we hear the music and the laughter and the tinkling of the glasses, and we see the pretty lights, and we kind of think, maybe we're missing something. After all, to be a Christian. And, you know, straight as a gate, narrow as the way. Oh, shut up. That 
verse is not talking about living the Christian life. It's talking about how you get to heaven. There's one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. He's the straight gate. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and gentle in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. It's not hard to serve God. It's hard to serve the devil. God doesn't leave you drunk in a gutter somewhere in a pile of your own vomit. He doesn't leave you hospital with some disease because you're promised you. He doesn't leave your mind fried because of using drugs. That's how the devil takes care of his servants. I uh, worked at Sears when I was a young man in college. Sears and Kmart are both gone now. I'm glad Kmart's gone. My, my theological position was always that Walmart is of God and Kmart is of the devil. Just what I believed. <laughs> but when I worked at Sears, they had me most of the time in the shoe department, and every spring they had a big tennis shoe sale. They'd get these brand new galvanized steel garbage cans, and they put the tennis shoes in the cans by size. They gave me a crew of special needs young men. And our job was to take the shoes out of the boxes, time together, make sure they got in the right can. I was overseeing those young men. One of those young men was named Ernest. Ernest had beady little eyes. He had a weak chin. He had a big forehead. He looked kind of like a weasel. I didn't live too far from Ernest, so I'd give him a ride home at night. After a few days, he got to feeling comfortable with me, and he looked over and he said, did you ever want to get a house and make it look like there was people in there and then set it on fire and watch it burn? No, Ernest. I'd like to go parasailing sometime. I've done that, actually. Maybe, maybe hang gliding next. And then I had this flash of thought. If I were a woman, it would have been intuition. But I'm a man. It was just this flash of thought. I said, Ernest, you wouldn't ever want to do that with real people in there, would you? And his beady little eyes gleamed and his weasel face began to glisten. And he said, I think it'd be fun. Oh. Ernest had been through enough counseling, therapy, to know you weren't supposed to burn up houses with people inside of them. By the way, just for the record, you shouldn't burn them up with people not in them either. Yes. And uh, he knew he'd get in trouble if somebody thought he still wanted to do that. But in his mind, he thought he was missing something. He thought he was being robbed of something. Young people brought up in a good church like this and a good Christian school and good homes have the idea that maybe there's some excitement and some fun that they're missing out there in the world. And I would like to remind you that the world and the flesh and the devil do not have one good thing for the child of God. The devil's a murderer from the beginning. When he speaks of a lie, he's speaking of his own. He is a liar and the father of it. All of his pearls are paste pearls. All of his nickels are wooden nickels. There's nothing in the world yeah. for the child of God. But the lukewarm Christian doesn't even know what he's missing. This pronouncement. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. The perception, self-perception. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Savior's perception. You're poor, blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. I think we got the idea. These guys did a good job. Would you give them a hand as they go back to their seat? Thank you. Listen, don't expect any money because the guys the other night didn't get any either. So 
Then there's a prescription. Here's the advice, the counsel, the instruction that the Lord gives to the lukewarm church. I counsel thee. Hey, I hope you get counsel from your pastor. I loved hearing him teach the Sunday school lesson today. And obviously faithful and diligent student of the word of God said many intriguing, helpful, interesting, good things in his lesson. But what if you could get counsel from Jesus? Would you take it? Well, he's about to give us some. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. White raiment that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And I anoint thine eyes with eye salve, thou mayest see. The Laodicean church had three things they're proud of. They're proud of a banking industry. They're kind of the Switzerland of their day. They're proud of a clothing industry. They're proud of an eye salve that they had. And the Lord Jesus attacked them in their areas of perceived strength. And he said, what you need is not material riches, but spiritual riches. What you need is not fancy finery, but be robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you need is not to have some physical perception but have spiritual insight and then he said as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent remember that debate 15 years ago or so about repentance I wound up talking to the people that were leading two different factions of it I concluded that neither of them was qualified to lead a theological debate I looked at that word, repent. It's made of two Greek words, the word to perceive and the word afterward. My wife's sister, our brother-in-law and sister pastor church across town from us, I got to recommend him to their church when I'd been in ours about three years. And I think my sister-in-law watches the Weather Channel maybe 18 hours a day. (laughs) So Christy, my wife will always say to Kathy, your sister, said that the Weather Channel said, I do not need to be unkind. I know that's your profession. What I tell our people is that the weather people in our area, they really don't know. They don't know. Well, if it goes this way, it's going to do this. If it goes that way, it's going to do that. Well, I don't want to know if, if, if. I'm not going to be sitting there there watching the trams. I, I want to know what's going to do. They don't know. <laughs> so Chrissy may say to me, honey, Kathy said, the Weather Channel said, there's going to be an ice storm, be five inches of ice on the road tonight, and you're supposed to go preach somewhere. You think you should cancel the meeting? I say, nah, it'll be okay. Typical male response. <laughs> Ladies, let me give you some free advice. Do not ever ask a man, are you sure? We are always sure. We're not always right. (laughs) We're always sure. (laughs) So I go. And there's not five inches of ice, but there's a good half inch of ice over all the roads. And I'm barely able to stay on the highway. And there's cars in the ditches all around me. And I think, whoa, I better find some place to spend the night or I'm going to spend it in this ditch. I just repented. I did not perceive initially, but I perceived afterwards. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, the first part of the prescription is this. You must acknowledge your sin. We love the verse, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgives our sin. It's a great verse. But that word confess doesn't mean to say, yeah, I blew it. I'm sorry. Let's go on. 
It literally means they tell me to say the same thing as. I've been in court where people taking a plea bargain were required to elocute their crimes. They had to say what they did wrong. It literally means to agree with God against your sin. They tell me now, here's what the Lord Jesus says. You got to stop saying what you've been saying about your sin and start saying what I say about your sin. Did you ever hear about a, a good Christian, maybe a person in a position of leadership, and they did something really terrible, and maybe they'd been doing it for a long time. And you thought, how could they do that? I've had that thought. I think I figured it out. You know how they do that? They do that the same way we do the stuff we do. Oh, brother, I've never done anything like that's what I'm talking about. Thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And the Lord Jesus said, stop saying what you say. Stop making your excuses. Stop giving your rationalizations. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. Say about your sin what I say about it. First part of the prescription, you must acknowledge your sin. Then the Lord Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We think that's a beautiful verse. Sometimes people use it in sharing the gospel. I'm not upset if you do, but that's not a verse to the, the unsaved. It's a verse to the church. Laodicea. It's one of the saddest verses in the Bible because it places the Lord Jesus Christ outside the door of his own church. And he's knocking at the door of the church. And he says, if any man hear my voice, it's a, it's a subjunctive mode which indicates doubt. Is there anybody who wants to listen to me? Is there anybody who wants to spend time with me? I know you have all your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter to check. I know you want to read your hunting and fishing magazines and you got to watch all your soap operas and you're trying to keep up with every team in the NFL and the NBA, but is anybody interested in me? Does anybody want to fellowship with me? Anybody want to spend time with me? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in. Second part of the prescription is to admit the Savior. Do you know how close you are to God this night, this evening? You're exactly as close as you want to be. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If there was a time in your life when your walk with the Lord was more faithful and your zeal for the Lord was more fervent and your love for the Lord was more intense, it's not him who has moved. I'm the Lord God. I change now. I was in seventh grade, Robert Burns Elementary School in Detroit. For some reason in Detroit, Elementary and through seventh grade, junior high was eighth and ninth, and high school was 10, 11, and 12. And uh, there was a girl in my class named Rosemary. I thought she was cute. I thought she was the cutest girl in the class. If I'd have picked any girl in that class to be my girlfriend, I'd have picked Rosemary. One day, she was sitting in front of me, and she turned around, and she had a piece of paper with three names on it, and, and she showed me the paper, and she pointed to the first name, and I didn't recognize it, and she said, that's my boyfriend at home. I said, that's nice. She put in the second name. I didn't recognize that. She said, that's my boyfriend at church. I said, that's interesting. 
She pointed to the third name. I recognized it. It was my name. And she said, that's who I want for my boyfriend at school. What are you laughing at? Anybody ever ask you to be their school girlfriend? I liked her. I thought she was cute. And in seventh grade, I did not know much about it, but I knew enough to know I didn't want to be part of a trio. Walk down the hallway. There goes one of Rosemary's boyfriends. If I was going to be somebody's boyfriend, I want to be their all the time boyfriend. We don't mean to do it, but we say to Jesus, you can be part of my life. Lord, I talked to you on the way into work. Now, I'll see you again at break time and lunch time, but there's these guys here, and, you know, they tell some jokes that are kind of off color, and I sort of laugh at them. You know, you got to go along to get along. So if you'd wait in the car, I'll talk to you after a bit. Did you know the Lord Jesus does not want to be part of your life? He does not only want to be the most important part of your life. The Bible says that in all things he might have the preeminence. I understand that to mean first in order and foremost in importance. But the Bible says in Colossians when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. He's the one who saved us. He's the one whose name we bear. He's the one for whom we're serving and laboring. He's the one we stand before to see if there's any reward in our life. He's not part of our life. He is our life. Amen. I uh, read about a famous newspaper man, William Randolph Hearst. He collected art and he read about it. He was very rich. He's got a big castle. You can go visit outside of San Francisco. He's gone now, but the castle's a tourist place. And he, he read about a, a painting he wanted to have. For us, it'd be extremely expensive. For him, it was not a big deal. And he called this agent and said, hey, give me that painting. I don't care what you got to pay. I just want to have the painting. After some months, the agent came back and said, Mr. Hurst, I found the painting. Did you buy it for me? He said, no, sir. He said, buy it. He said, I cannot buy it for you. He said, you can buy it for me. I got enough money. Anybody's got a price. You can get it. He said, no, sir, I cannot buy you that painting. He said, why not? Well, he said, Mr. Hurst, I found it crated up in the basement of a warehouse that you own. You bought it a long time ago along with a bunch of other stuff. If that isn't an analogy of how most people live their Christian life, running around looking for something that they think they don't have. Maybe it's a bigger house or a better car or a nicer job or a fancier vacation or a different spouse. And all the while, you have everything you need, but you've been ignoring it, and his name is Jesus. I heard about a preacher. A preacher told this story about a wealthy man in Great Britain. His only son only child, was killed in the Royal Air Force in World War II. His wife had died. This man had a really extensive art collection. It was going to be auctioned by Southby's, the famous English auction house, and it was unusual. So many items of such value up at one time, a lot of interest. People gathered, and the auctioneer banged his gavel down on the table. And he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, according to the terms of the estate, this item must be auctioned first. He reached over and pulled the cloth off a painting sitting in front of him on an easel. It was a painting of the dead man's dead son. Painted by an unknown artist, essentially worthless. They didn't want it. They'd rather have the frame than the painting. 
But there was a man, there had been a servant of that wealthy man. He thought, I'd like to have that painting. I'd love to remember my master and his son. I loved him. I loved his son. He bid a few dollars, and the auctioneer said, sir, the painting is yours. Then he said, folks, I know this will come as a surprise, but I must tell you, according to the terms of the estate, the auction's now over. Wow, there was a hubbub then, and he banged and banged and banged and banged and finally got their attention. And he said, because according to the terms of the estate, whoever purchases the picture of the son is to be given the entire collection. And as I understand the teaching of the word of God, particularly the New Testament, the Bible says in him, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness and brothers and sisters. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. Yes. I know thy works. I were neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. I would thou weren't cold or hot, so that because thou neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not, I'm poor and wretched and blind and miserable and naked. I challenge thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and White raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Lord, I pray you'd use this portion of your word to turning us into those fervent Christians, the kind that would fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. 